You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome to episode 181. Can you believe we've had this many episodes of the Pempcron Warhammer podcast? That is crazy. Crazy. Three years running we've been doing this. That's nuts. Anyway, so... (laughs) I don't know why that tickled me. But anyway. So what are we talking about today? Well, we are talking about our beautiful, sexy, good-smelling Patreon patrons and the wonderful GameMad.eu who make this show possible. We're also discussing uh, Real Talk with the Pimpcron, and we are discussing on that how to have a three-way with some of your bros, and it is exactly what you think, having three different forces on Warhammer. And there's multiple ways to do that, and we explore all of them. They're all simple and easy to use. We also have a Tesseract mailbox from Michael, and believe it or not, we're discussing how I make this podcast. That might be interesting to some of you, and I go into the real way I make this podcast happen. And also, we have a Want That or Want That Not with Middle Earth Strategy Battle Game Quest for the Ring Bearer Supplement. And whether or not you should get that, whether you love rules or mission making or you actually play the Middle Earth game or you just have a you just have a boner for Frodo. Any of those things are applicable for buying that book. But let's first see if it's worth your time. So what's the old Pimpcron been up to? Well, I've been um, painting a bunch of Necrons for an upcoming tournament. And uh, me and my buddy Josh are teaming up Necrons. His Necrons are not painted. He's just starting that army. So we're using all of my points. 2,500. Uh, it's not all my points, but I mean, it's my entire army is what we're u- No, it's not my entire army we're using. Our entire force we are bringing are comprised of models from my army. Does that make any sense? Good God, I struggle with that sentence. Um, so I finally painted my monolith. I had 3D printed from my friend TJ, and no, it's not the GW monolith. It's a very stylized monolith that someone made that's kind of like a diamond shape. It's really cool looking, and, um, I decided I wanted that. Now, he printed that for me, like, two years ago, well before the monolith actually came out, uh, the new monolith model. I sold my old monolith, and, uh, then I decided I wanted just this new stylized one. And I don't usually run super heavies, but we are for this tournament, so I'm pretty excited about that. I also got six Ophidian Destroyers done, and that is all the painting I had to do for this list. Um, Because obviously Necrons, most of my armies, I mean, my entire army's painted except for the brand new models. So, that is what I've been up to. I've also been working real hard on the Diceless Mass Brutality game, which is pretty exciting. And we had our first round of Brutality games at the store. We're doing a league, um, it's only one game per month. So uh, we had a league at the store that has started in February, and uh, I played my friend Josh, the uh, Goatman, and I beat him six to four, I think. It wasn't like some big, it wasn't some big blowout or anything, but um, we are also using, we're playtesting the rules for my newest supplement from Brutality called Career Mode, and um, I'm taking the Path of Coins, so my mine is a Merchant Warband. And that gives me an extra objective that I have to gather for resources, and then I can craft them into items and sell them. It's pretty cool. And um, Josh is doing the Path of Violence, so he's trying to kill more than I'm killing of his. So that's 
that's pretty neat. And um, we have other people. Matt played his game. I think he won his game against Elijah. And uh, just, you know, just playing through that. So my next game is actually against Just James, and that's in March. So I'm a little on the fence about this league because I'm like, okay, I'm happy to be getting a game of Brutality each month, but I feel like each once a month is a little, like, slow or a little sparse, you know? I'd almost rather be twice a month, but I don't want to take away from my regular Warhammer, so whatever. I play Brutality all the time, so it's fine. And I got an Age of Sigmar rematch with my Slaves of Darkness with Just James, and I don't know if this happened prior to last episode or not, so I don't know, but we played one game and he completely whooped my ass because I did not read my codex, which, come to find out, this is a pro tip for all you, you probably should read your book and your rules so you know what you're doing. Me, a filthy casual, I didn't give a crap, and I got stomped. So I decided, you know what? This book has a lot of information in it. Let me see if any of that's pertinent to me playing this game. And lo and behold, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was. So, so then we played a rematch game, and I uh, I whooped him. I spanked him. Um, I pulled down his trousers and just paddled him Yep, with one of my models. I don't really remember the score, but it was something bad. It was 15 to 1. I know he had one point, and I had 12 or 15, something like that. It was pretty rough. Um, <laughs> but uh, I summoned like 320 points of extra units in that, which was pretty cool being Ravagers. Um, none of them are very strong or powerful, but you can just keep summoning cultists, and that's fantastic. And to be honest, I think that's about it. Um... Yeah, I'm enjoying my time off. Boy, do I love this time of year, enjoying some time off before we go back to the grind uh, pretty soon. So let's get on with the rest of the show. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. On the Tesseract mailbox this week, we have a Facebook conversation I had with Michael, and we were discussing... um, he is getting into making a podcast and he wants to know my process for making a podcast. And it's, it's a little odd. I got to tell you. So just hold on to your seats. This is what it takes for me to make a podcast. First off, I go to the ocean early in the morning. And if you don't live near an ocean, then you're going to have to drive to one or maybe fly, take a Sherpa, whatever you need to do, go to the ocean at exactly 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you pick up the biggest shell you can find and listen to it. And if you are deemed worthy, the chaos gods of the sea will bestow on you your next podcast idea. Now that's the first step. If you're not deemed worthy, then you are going to have to copy and paste anything from the Wall Street Journal and change words like price or money to miniatures or OP. Something like that. You'll, you'll come up with your own system. That's what I do anyway. Now, actually, if you want to know how the sausage is made, Michael, and the reason why I didn't read his message is it wasn't like a normal letter. It was like, hey, what's up? Oh, hi, how are you? Oh, I like your show, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I was wondering how you... It's really conversational. There's no reason to read the entire conversation. Um, if he had structured it a little more like an actual letter, I could have read it, but that's essentially the, the gist of it. So you're going to have to find some sort of process that fits your life. And it sounds weird to say that, but you have to find shortcuts you can take to make things quicker, and um, you've got to find a proper place to record, and you've got... There's a lot of... Mm, there's a lot of 
upfront stuff you got to do to figure out because you don't want your sound quality to be terrible. It's taken a long time for me to figure out sound quality. I'm not an audiophile. I don't, I'm not very good with like, oh, that that guitar is off key or whatever. I'm just not that way. So it took me a long time to figure out. And I'm sure if you go back to the first episodes, the audio quality is much more tinny or it's echoey or I sound like I'm in a big ballroom or whatever. And um, there is a lot to that, number one. So once you get that figured out, typically what you want to do is you want to break up the noise. So wherever you're projecting your voice, you don't want it to bounce back at you. So believe it or not, I actually have a closet that I record in in my home and I leave the door open and I talk out of the closet and believe it or not, because of the furniture and things like that in the room, it doesn't bounce back at me. Now, if I closed this door, obviously it would bounce right back at me and that's the way that goes. But the closet is a nice small confined space and I can pr- project my sound out of the doorway and it doesn't come back to me. That's exactly what an echo is. I mean, I know it sounds like no duh, but it's the truth. Um, Then the process of what I do to make my podcast is I actually work in reverse. So most of the time, I know what my main topic is going to be. And most of the time, I already have an article. So that's not a big deal. I know whatever article is next in line, and that's what I do. So um, I will record my real talk first, which of course comes last in the podcast. And I record that first, and then I record... Either the Test Rock Meow Box or the Want That or Want That Not. The Want That or Want That Not, a lot of times I'm flying by the seat of my pants. I don't know exactly what is um, going to be on the GW website. Like, I, I try to do the new releases and things like that. So, each week, that's changed. So, I don't usually have that planned unless I saw something in some sort of community post that I really want to cover. So, then I go to the GW website, look up whatever the new releases are, and I review whatever I see there because I like to try to keep up on the new stuff. Um, then I pick a Tesseract mailbox letter and I, I read that and reply to it and all that. So the, then I do the intro. The intro, the first thing you hear is actually the last thing I record, which is kind of ironic. But the reason why I discovered to do this way is because occasionally while I'm talking on a topic, as it naturally progresses and evolves while I'm talking, I realize that it takes a slightly different direction than I thought it would. And some of my things are scripted and other things are not scripted. So it's, it's a, you know, most of my things are not scripted. Um, but if it's an intricate thing or I've got specific jokes I want to put in it or whatever, some things will be scripted ahead of time so that I can, um, and obviously written by me. I don't have anybody to write my script. So people go, oh, it's scripted. Well, no, I mean, it's scripted by me so I can say things properly. It's really hard to be funny off the cuff while also running this recording equipment and also (laughs) staying on topic and also trying to make sure that you're not, you know, like, um, maxing out your bars or whatever for your audio. So, um, the reason why I do the intro last is because that way I know I just recorded the other three segments and I know exactly what they're about. Occasionally I might start off and you'll even notice this occasionally in one of my segments, especially real talk when I kind of, you know, explore a topic is that I might start off with saying, oh, this is what this is about. And then by the end of it, it's just slightly different. You know, it might be, oh, I hate Wargamers. And then by the end of it, I'm like, well, you know, I don't hate all Wargamers, blah, blah, blah. So then when I do the intro, I can go, okay, uh, instead of going, I hate all Wargamers, really, it was 
which war gamers do I hate? Or it's, I don't hate all war gamers, but here's the problem with them. Or whatever. I can summarize it better once I've already recorded it. And then, of course, I add whatever I've been doing that week. And then that's basically it. So now that may or may not work for you. You have to find the place in your home that you can record. You got to find proper recording equipment. Um, You've got to, I've already gave you links for programs and things um, like Audacity, free audio recording stuff. And um, of course, links to Podbean and all that. So you, you already know that, but I didn't tell you all of this because I wanted to save something for the podcast. So hopefully this helps, and we can continue our conversation on Messenger if you'd like. And that is about it for this segment. So now I'm going to go record the intro to the show, because this happens to be the last segment I recorded today. See? That is how the sausage is made. Want that, or want that not? On this edition of Want That or Want That Not, we're actually covering a Lord of the Rings product. Isn't that odd for my podcast? I mean, we've covered some terrain here and there, but today we are discussing a little supplement book for the Lord of the Rings Middle-Earth game from Games Workshop, and it's Quest of the Ringbearer. Now, I saw this first when I was talking, you know, the white dwarf I bought with the um, Tyranid rules in it. And they had a whole product history of Lord of the Rings, like I mentioned in a previous episode. And I saw the quest for the Ringbearer, and I'm like, hmm, I wonder what this is. And it's a supplement for the Middle-Earth game where you essentially play the entire storyline that is in the movies, from the three movies, Lord of the Rings. And you basically play through every major plot point in that. And you have the the Fellowship with you, or actually you start out with just the Hobbits because you're in the Shire, and the very first mission is stealing apples or something from the farmer, farmer maggots field or whatever. And I am not the biggest Lord of the Rings fan. I mean, I like Lord of the Rings, but I could never get into the books. I found them very boring, drying, (laughs) boring, drying, I mean, dry and boring. And I did like the movies quite a bit, though. So I respect this whole intellectual property, but it's not my favorite. I've said before, I'm I'm a Star Trek guy. So what is this supplement and why should you buy it? Well, I'm going to come off right off the bat and say that I got this. I ordered it through my local store. I got it this week and I am truly blown away by it. Now, if you play Lord of the Rings, this is something you'd be interested in. If you don't play Lord of the Rings, then you probably aren't interested in it, I suppose, except if you're someone like me, that loves to read missions and rules and all of that. And you really could use some of these missions for Warhammer. I mean, it's not so different from Warhammer that you couldn't. Because essentially what it is, is it gives you a scenario, and it tells you what models to use, which of course you'd have to extrapolate that to Warhammer. And then it tells you the special rules, and it gives you a diagram of what the battle looks like, the battlefield. And it's extremely simple. But I could not believe it was like uh, 28 scenarios in this book. And I started flipping through it at the store and I'm like, oh, here's a mission. And I'm expecting, oh, you know, a page or two of fluff before the next mission. And truly, I'm just expecting like five or 10 missions in this book. I didn't remember that it had 28 in it. And I'm flipping a page. There's a mission. Flip a page. Mission. Flip. Mission. Flip. Mission. Flip. Mission. I'm like, oh, my God, I cannot believe how many missions are in this. And being that it follows through the whole thing, follows Throto all the way to Mordor. The very last mission is in Mordor and to destroy the ring. It is a fantastic book. It's well put together, just like you'd expect for Games Workshop. 
The pictures of the miniatures are also fantastic. Of course, they own all the miniatures. So a lot of the missions will have some sort of picture from the movie of that scene. And then they will have a real life picture of the miniatures in some sort of beautiful diorama they've made. And whether it's, you know, the ring wraiths coming after them or it's going into, um, you know, the Mines of Mor- Moria. Yeah, Mines of Moria or whatever. And they've done a fantastic job with it. So to me, I buy rules because I love looking at how they design their missions and how different people have army composition or character creation. And of course, all of that gets absorbed into my brain and something else that is my own comes out when I make brutality missions and whatnot. So these are a great resource for me. But if you enjoy Lord of the Rings and if you play the Middle Earth strategy game, this, to be honest, is a must-have in my opinion because... It is the entire main storyline of all the movies, and it tells you all the miniatures you need. Now, you're going to need a, a bit of a collection, because you're going to need the Fellowship, you're going to need the um, uh, the Wargs, you're going to need, you know, Goblins and Orcs and Smeagol, and you're going to need, you know, all your basics, basically. You can't just play it with one army. Of course, you can tell your own story. Um, they even have a way to link it, link the missions together, which is something I always love. So, being that I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings fan, I bought it kind of going, oh, well, you know, we'll see. It sounds neat. It seems that you follow Frodo and whatnot, and that seems like a neat idea for a book. But I am truly blown away by it. The images are fantastic. The book is well put together, like I said. And the missions are all fun, and even down to robbing a farmer who will not actually kill you. You're just, like, knocked unconscious if he gets to you and beats you up. Because he's like, oh, you damn hobbits, you're in my woods again, or in my farm. And uh, it's just, there is a certain, there's a certain love in this book. And I'm slowly discovering it with the Lord of the Rings Middle Earth material from Games Workshop. There's a certain love and appreciation and down-to-earthness of what they do for the Lord of the Rings stuff, that it doesn't seem that way for Warhammer for some reason. There's not this authenticity in a lot of the Warhammer stuff I see. Like, if you look at all the missions for the Warhammer stuff, it's all very sterile. Like, it's... or sterile. It's very sterile, and it's just like, oh, here's some fucking text. Deal with it. (laughs) It's like, okay, I'll just look at all of this text. I'll read your paragraphs of text with no images, no real narrative to it, You know, it's like, hey, two forces. Yeah, throw them on the table, bitch. You're going to play this mission. You're going to like it before we force feed you our next product. Whore. You know, that's that's how GW feels with a lot of the uh, Warhammer stuff. Age of Sigmar does have more character to it, but the 40k stuff has been mostly seemingly stripped of any character or passion or whatever. But this Lord of the Rings stuff is just fantastic. So... Not that I'm going to be playing the game anytime soon. I have no interest in that. I'm not buying their their models or anything because I'm really not a Lord of the Rings fan. But this book is good, and it's definitely I want that. I suggest you pick it up if you're interested in mission rules, which could be applied if you with just a little work, or if you actually play the Middle Earth game. Let's go on the next segment. Now it's time for real talk with Pentcron. Hey everybody, it's Real Talk with the Pimcron, and today we are discussing having a three-way with your bros. So, essentially, this is a topic that always comes up at one point or another in a gaming club. They go, well, 
the game is designed for just two sides, right? A one-on-one, a two-on-two, even a three-on-three, potentially. But what do you do if you want to have more sides? Now, if you go to four different forces, four different sides of this battle, if you will, then it kind of becomes a two-on-two again, because you oftentimes will say, oh, the two opposite end armies that deploy opposite of each other are going to be on the same team, and so-and-so. So a lot of times that ends up just being essentially a normal battle, which is one side versus another side. But what if you feel like getting frisky, right? You're sitting there kicking back a bunch of beers with your bros, and all of a sudden, too, your bros give you that look, and you know what's going down. You're heading for three-way town. So... It's kind of tricky with this game, right? The whole game is designed for two players, or at least two sides of the game. Even, like, the assault phase, you know? You both activate in each other's assault phase if you're in melee with each other. So that confuses things slightly. But, really, it is very, very doable. Just like the bros you're having a threesome with. So first off, we've got to talk about lists here. First off, the lists probably should not be highly competitive. This should be a fun game. And the reason why I say that, you can go, oh, Pumpcron's going off about competitive games again. No, I'm not, actually. The issue is that competitive lists are usually finely tuned for a particular objective, like holding objectives or killing people or anti-tank or anti-infantry or, or whatever, board control, all of those things. And it truly becomes a rock-paper-scissors game when all three people, one person's got rock, one person's got scissors, one person's got paper in their force. So naturally, the scissors guy is going to go after the paper, etc. So you really don't want one anti-tank player, and then the other player's playing guard. Well, I mean, he's probably going to have a lot of tanks. So you really should probably stick to something like a patrol that will kind of limit it, and to be honest, in my personal opinion, I would actually go with a Highlander format, where you can't take more than one of any unit, and that prevents spam, because a lot of highly tuned anything, whether it's a magic deck, or it's a Warhammer list, they pick the best things, and then take as many as they can of something, right? Anytime that I'm making a magic deck, I always take four of those things that are good, because the max is four cards in that deck of the same kind. So, It's not me just hating on competitive play at all. This is just common sense, people. The next big thing is deployment. Deployment with three forces on a mission often ends up being one guy is sandwiched in between the two of them. So what you have to make sure is that when you're choosing deployment zones, make sure that all three players are equidistant, and for you non-mathematicians, equal distance... (laughs) from the other two deployments. So that way it will form a triangle, such as the love triangle with the threesome of your bros. So if you're going to do, let's say, 24 inches from player A and 24 inches from player B, and then each one of them have to be 24 inches from each other, then that is going to make a nice setup so that one player does not get dogpiled on. Because Like, let's say if you deployed in a line. I've seen people do this, and I'm just shaking my head from across the room. They deploy in a line with one player in the middle, and then other players on, like, the far sides. Well, who's going to get shot the most? Who's going to get assaulted the most? The dude in the middle. Like, that's just, that's how that works. 
So, and then they're shocked. Oh, it didn't go out very well at all. The middle guy got crushed. Oh, really? Wow, that's crazy. I couldn't have seen that coming. So once you have your preferably Highlander lists made and your deployment set, who is going to go first each turn? Like, how is this going to go? You could go clockwise, you could counterclockwise, whatever. I find one of the best things to do is... Actually, it's taken from Broken Alliances or something. In 5th edition, they came out with some rules for thir- uh, three-player games. And it was very simple. And essentially, in the first turn, all three players roll off, and they go off in the order... They activate their armies in the order of highest to lowest. As far as, like, you rolled highest, you go first. And then each subsequent round, the person that went first the previous round... Like, uh, let's just try to clear this up a little bit. In the first round, let's say Just James goes first. Well, then in the second round, Just James automatically goes last, and the other two players roll off. And then whoever goes first that turn will go last in the third turn, if that makes any sense. And that does help people... uh, It's not quite as dependable exactly when you're going to activate, which is nice. And because if it's if it's more reliable when you're going to activate, then you can plan better. And I know that sounds terrible for a strategy game that you don't want to plan better. But you're really trying to soften the impact of each army on a single player because it can gang be ganged up on pretty easily. Now, I've seen other forms. Um, I believe the Age of Sigmar 1.0 Triumph and Treachery rules. Um, I'm digging back here a little bit. Um, I believed that you could not target the same army in two subsequent phases. I believe that is what it was. So if you target just James in the psychic phase, then in the shooting phase, you can't target just James. You have to target someone else in the shooting phase, and then you could target just James in the assault phase if you wanted, uh, or the charge phase. So that is the way that goes. So someone doesn't just get dogpiled on. Now, another way to do this, and there's multiple ways, it's just really whatever you feel comfortable with. Another way is that you roll a dice at the beginning of each game turn or battle round, and on a four up, you all will attack the person that is clockwise to you, or let's say to the left of you. And then on a one through three, you will attack all the person on the right of you, and you can't attack the person on your left. So in other words, it is going to oscillate how often you can target one person, and that ensures that two players are never targeting the same player. You're not dogpiling on one person. And if you're already in melee, obviously you can activate your units like normal against even an army that you can't fight against. But as far as shooting or charges or psychic or anything like that, you can only target the person that is to your either left or right, and it changes each turn. So that helps a lot. And that also makes sure that you want to stay in range of both of them because you never know who you can shoot or who you can't shoot each turn. And that unpredictability really does help a lot. So if you coupled that with, let's say, the GW 5th edition version where you, you know, the first person goes last on the next round and all that, you've got a very random game and you can have a lot of fun because you're not being dogpiled. Essentially, what you have to do is... This game is designed for two forces, so if you're going to have three forces, you have to find a way to break it down into still just two forces. So the Triumph and Treachery broke it down per phase. Okay, you can only target this person in the phase, and then you have to target someone else in the other phase, and it's minimizing it. This other way of you know rolling to see who whether you can attack the guy on the right or the guy on the left 
then that is also breaking the game down into a, you know, okay, it's just between you two this turn, excluding any ongoing assaults. And that's basically the easiest ways how to play a three-player game. To be honest, I still feel that a three-player game is the easiest when it's just two-on-one. If you do a normal game of, you know, the one-player guy brings 2,000 points and the two players on the other side bring 1,000 each, that is the easiest and most fair way to play a three-player game. But if you insist on three different forces... These are all very good explanations of how you can do that. And they're very simple. They don't add tons and tons of rules to your game or anything like that. God knows we don't need any more rules in this game. Well, I think that's it. And thank you to Leroy Jenkins for this idea for this topic. I will see you guys next week. Thank you to GameMat.eu for supporting the show. And thank you to all my beautiful, sexy, good-smelling Patreon patrons. Oh, like Leroy Jenkins. See you next week.